Hi, hello. Welcome to the Ellie Holbrook podcast, all things mindful, meditative, and good. And today on our second episode, we have Blair Zika, one of my best friends and dearest soul sisters joining us for Enlightened Conversation. Welcome, Blair. Hey, thank you so much. I'm super stoked on this. Yes, I'm so excited to have this. I've been looking forward to it for weeks, thinking about like what's going to emerge. So as I was kind of thinking about, you know, preparing for a conversation and knowing that we went into this like really open-minded, um, I was thinking about the first time that we met. Do you remember that? Yeah, we talks. Yeah, we talks. That's right. With Tessa Miller and Gregory at the Nest. And I think that was the I don't remember the time frame exactly. I know it was about six years ago, five years ago. And it was, wasn't it kind of on the heels of like the beginnings of the Me Too movement, right? Yeah, it absolutely was. It absolutely was. Yeah. Yeah, that was a delicate time in the community. And then the inner landscapes were super delicate too. That was really my first return to community after several months, close to a year of just kind of hiding out. So it was really potent to meet you and to, you know, I've, I had known Tess for so long and that space and those conversations were rich with mm-hmm. connection. And it was, yeah, it really went from there because you were pretty new to Reno too. Yeah, I was. I'd been in Reno. I don't remember the exact time frame of that, but I it was about less than a year in that I'd lived because I moved to Reno in the summer of 2016. And so I think all of that was like spring of 2017. And I was really kind of yearning for deeper connection and community because I was still like the new girl in town. And when I moved to Reno, I was like, you know, so many cords had been cut and so when I was transplanted very fresh start in so many ways. And as I look back on that time, I remember feeling like sometimes some loneliness and longing, you know, for deeper connections that just take time to nurture um, and not really knowing where to begin. But I was also on this like pilgrimage of, you know, my own soul, not just moving, but, you know, just gotten sober um, like a year or so before then. And, you know, just all of that, like spiritual excavation that happens at those like pivotal times of life. So yeah, you're right. Like, I think our whole community, the collective, I think that's when a lot of like wounds are being scalpeled open, you know, and some of us absolutely yearning to have conversation and connect and like navigate together. Yeah. I feel like we were both so primed. It's interesting to talk about the timeline because the time you had been in Reno up until that point feels energetically very similar to, even though I had been in Reno my entire life, who I was in the beginning of 2016 is completely different than who I am now. But that first year up until you and I met, it was the darkest waters the darkest waters. And so I think you and I were both very primed on a soul space for authentic connection, being able to connect with someone that can hold space for the depth of the journey that had taken place up until that point. And I think that's where you and I connected so deeply was just this knowing that the soul that was sitting next to me is open for truth. Mm. let's play in that arena for a bit. Because there's something so potent about witnessing. 
witnessing another person and being witnessed by another person. It creates a really gentle foundation for just a lot to start coming through. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, dang, we got, we went straight out pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we really did. And I love what you said about that witnessing. Cause I think, um, you know, showing up for truth and witnessing, and even in that shared space, you know, I didn't, I didn't know that many people. I obviously had acquaintances enough to be there because it was kind of, you know, through some networking that I was introduced, um, but didn't have deep connections at that point. You know, some some friendships definitely emerged from that that conversation. But showing up for truth and knowing that that's what that group was all there for, to be, you know, just honest with self and connecting on that point and seeing where we can move forward from that. Um, but that witnessing, I think, is such a under... Um, under acknowledged force that can happen, you know, and I like your word for gentle saying that like when we can witness one another um, in our most authentic state, whether that's like being vulnerable, being torn open, being heartbroken, witnessing in grief or anger, whatever like human state we're in, like really witnessing is really just kind of being a space holder like just allowing whatever to come through to come through it's not with judgment it's not with direction it's not with control it's just like it's like this absence of ego as well you know because if if you're witnessing me you're you're witnessing through the eyes of soul and you're witnessing me in a very human moment and so it's like ego is checked and that's partly why i think those moments can be so profound and cataclysmic yeah and i also you know i'm someone who likes to do a lot of my deep shadow work, deep transformational healing work on my own. I really enjoy processing that and connecting with the medicine in a way that's just very much in solitude. I I enjoy that experience. And also I knew clearly, I can feel this shift a couple of years ago when it was, at that point I had been doing four-ish years of deep solo healing work. You know, I'd go to community events and do different sound baths or yoga or just a static dance or just conversations. But the deep healing was very much personal. And then about a couple of years ago, I stepped into community to do healing. And that's when I began to be witnessed inside of active healing. Yeah. And that was when I really started to embody a lot of the medicine that I had been using, or at least conceptually understanding up until that point of embodiment. And that moment of embodiment is a game changer because so yeah. many people suffer in silence. Like the, the deep suffering is in silence. And when we, when we stay in that vortex, oftentimes that's what leads to things like um, choosing to complete suicide or severe addiction where there's just so much silence and the ego and the wounding story and the victim loop. It's all just a roller coaster in the mind, not even in the body. We're just so out of the body and having someone to say, Hey, like, I'm going to pat you down. This is your body. How does it feel to be in here? It's safe to be in here to do the healing. Right. That's really profound because I think that um, you're right. When we're, when we're in that isolation of our suffering, which is different 
process than being in solitude or you know aloneness in our healing, which let's be real can feel like suffering <laughs> or have an element of suffering. You know, it's not all effervescent. Um, it's different. And when we're alone in our suffering and we're in that isolation and we're feeling alienated and we're withdrawing, um, there's a, I, I think there, there's a distortion that can happen in our mind and in our feeling of like the distortion of reality, you know, that like the internal dialogue can be so loud and so, um, is so deafening and it can be very difficult to like hear through that, see through that, know through that of like whatever it is that's on the other side of that solitude or isolation. And that is then where, yeah, we can fall into whatever, you know, efforts to mitigate the suffering, whether that's addiction or self-harm or, you know, the things that happen in the shadows often, you know, and to then like have, someone else, like you said, pat you down, bring you back into your body. And also like that process is really tricky because for many of us that are not in our body, you know, whether we just have the propensity to like go up, you know, whether we're up in our head or we're up in the clouds or we're dissociative or we're like fantasizing about like going back to the star in which we came from, like to like, you know, like come back down into the body and be an embodiment that's hard because it's a it's a very subconscious process that requires consciousness but it's also a process that requires like learning to be safe in the body because for many of us it isn't safe to be in the body you know our body is what like can feel harmed and for certain types of trauma most especially yeah and i think before we can really especially with deeply rooted trauma the a massive part of the healing journey is developing trust with self to feel safe to return to the body and that can take however long it takes yeah and it's a delicate journey it's a meandering journey and i feel like a, there's a critical moment when we've restored the trust to start to return to the body to not then immediately start taking action on all this healing, but to just allow ourselves time to be comfortable feeling the body again. So wonderful. I'm not numbing out. I'm feeling my body again. I'm going to go do stuff that I enjoy inside of my body. I'm not even going to worry about unpacking the healing yet. I just want to be here and celebrate this massive moment. Can't rush that process because then at the first opportunity to flee the body, we will. Right. It's the same with, it's, I feel like it's not just with trauma. I've also experienced and witnessed the way that spirituality takes us out of our body too. And how our spirituality in and of itself can be a way that we bypass our healing. Yes. And so it really is, you know, oftentimes we'll say like there's no direct path to healing. And I hold space for that. But, and also... Mm-hmm. it does feel the many loops I've had to make <laughs> to kind of start this process again. Yeah. It does feel as though presence and awareness with the body is the starting point. And it goes from there. Yes, 100%. And I think that like, that is one of, I think one of my most profound realizations within the last several years, at, you know, in the many roles that I fulfill where I keep 
encountering that, (laughs) you know, whether that's like my own healing or as a client or as a therapist or um, just humaning, you know, to like be reminded like back to the body and what happens there, whether we're intending to heal or not. Um, because, that, you know, there's healing in that too. We're not, we don't have to always be on the like 24 seven path of healing. And yet we kind of are, you know, if, if we so choose, however, you know, bringing back to our body is like such an overlooked thing. And I love what you said that it can be our spirituality in and of itself that can, like elude us and take us out of the body again to like, you know, go wherever it is that we want to go. That seems more enticing or sexy or romantic or fantastical. And then we're like, you know, back in the mundane of being human. And, but that's, I I get very convicted about this recently, especially after the vision quest that we did in Sedona and like being in the earth of the red rocks and, you know, working with Anahata and all the breath work is like, that was the, like the repeat lesson again and again and again was like to be on earth. Cause that's where we fucking are. (laughs) Like we are humans and we're meant to be here. And we're meant to be human. And, you know, is that the end all be all in the, you know, the vast trajectory of the cosmos? Probably, maybe not. I don't know, you know, but like, will that change? I think so. I think we're here to assist in the ascension of the planet, but we have to be on the planet in order to assist its ascension. Right? Yes. 100%. Yeah. And I can remember, so like in the beginning of my, spiritual journey. I I mean, I was primed. There was probably (laughs) like no greater candidate than the show that was Blair at that time, but it was great. I mean, it was, there was, like it was the, the bottom of bottoms. There was no going below where I was. And so I just opened up the potential to welcome in whatever, because what was taking place didn't feel great. So anything other than what I was currently just doing would have been a benefit, would have been a step in the right direction. I'm grateful that that happened to be energy work, mystical, metaphysical, all of the, like the mythic things that I could take my trauma to and process in a different way than like the right and wrong standard of society. Cause that's right. what got me fucked. That's what brought me to that space was following the right and wrongs of the structures of current landscape of society. So like, that's not what I consent to what, what's out there. Right. Got super stoked on spirituality. Thought that I was progressing in my healing at a pace that was not necessarily true because I was, learning all the things. I could say all the things. I, there, I genuinely felt like I was embodying those things until several years later, I was in a position where all of my wounding was projected onto someone, all of it. And it was remarkable to see how I had allowed spirituality to be the thing that bypassed all of the deeper work. And so then for the last two and a half years, it's been no, no joke shadow work, deep, yeah. honest, real 
guttural, painful, brilliant, beautiful, all of it. And I felt it when I actually embodied the medicine. And man, what a difference it is. Because now, before I was, I was preaching it to everyone. I was talking about like, hey, get this tarot deck or, you know, Mercury's retro, whatever we say, right? <laughs> but, yes. but now it's almost as if I don't need to speak about what my truth is and the difference between thinking that the answers resided in a tarot spread versus dropping into connect to self and really walk the thread of the wounding back, the core limiting belief, that's the healing work that needs to be done. Do that deeper work and then move forward from there. It's not... So how do we, to your point, be in an earth body, receive and channel and download and excavate from within ourselves this beautiful ancient medicine, this wisdom Mm -hmm. that we house, feel it, actualize it, embody it. And I mean, that's alchemy. That's then living out a truth and being in the medicine so that when I'm at in daily routine out and about in town... I'm not separate from the medicine. Right. Because it's to become a true way of life. And it's not to say that's what everyone's journey looks like, but that's how it looks like. If it's not that for me, then I'm falling out of alignment. Right. And I think, but I think that there is kind of a common, I mean, yes, everybody's journey is different. And I think that there can be a common pathway of learning that often is, you know, whatever the activation is, whether that's a, a gentle experience, a lighter experience, um, something as simple as like attending a yoga class or listening to something that like turns some light bulbs on or a death portal that whatever activates us and then we connect to that spirituality and we start to like connect to tools and support systems and, you know, divination tools and things like that, that like feel like I think sometimes we get so impassioned about it and excited and we want to share everybody is because we like, I think that can come from a very genuine place at times of like, this helps me and everybody should know. And not, not that it, I mean, sometimes I think it can, there can be kind of a, I don't know, a self-serving presentation that's conscious or subconscious, you know, that can be a little bit of spiritual narcissism. But I think a lot of times it comes from a pretty pure place of like, I just want to help. I want to share this good word. This has changed my life. I want to talk about it. I'm excited, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's where we're at on the path. You know, it's kind of like the information gathering stage of like all this learning. And then we integrate the learning, right? And then once something is integrated and assimilated, it's embodied. And so that's oftentimes part of the path for many people that are, you know, wherever they're at in their learning is like the information gathering of all the things. And then we want to share it. And then we digest it further. We probably have another ego death of like, oh, that's not it. Or yes, I I know these things. But, you know, sometimes like even with like hypocrisy, which isn't all bad, that we identify, you know, we know this language and we can see it outside of ourselves, but we haven't fully embodied it yet, you know, and that's how we learn a lot of things. And so then when it's embodied, then we have this realization of like, oh, that part of myself that once served no longer fits, which is great, you know, like to release that, to shed that and you know, that's essentially what an ego death is, right? It's like a part of self that no longer serves and we release it to find something else, which takes humility. Yeah, I, 
man, talk about humility after that time. So it was really kind of like my first partner since my husband had passed away um, almost six years ago now. And that was, you know, a little over two years ago that I met this person. And I mean, all the wounding came flooding to the surface and it wasn't all bad. Like we had a beautiful partnership for the time that we were holding space together until it wasn't right. Right. Uh, And so shocked by my behavior and how unaware I was and the entire time feeling that I was aware and then choosing to really remove myself and slip into that observer state and really look at behavior and impact. I had to make it that basic to investigate because the emotions were too high. And when I stepped back and looked at the behavior and impact and I realized that the majority of the concerns were me projecting my wounding onto this person. Yeah. I said, I need to take an even deeper dive at this point and really go in to the original core wounding and walk that path all the way back. And it's a big path that has many meandering little tendrils off of it. Uh, And in order for me to do that, I had to make the commitment to myself to do it. I mean, celibacy, solo journeyer, no partnership outside of my spiritual guides and teachers that helped me along the way, my own clients and working through and like healing in a really beautiful pilgrimage style of a way. Uh, And man, the awareness that I have around myself now, and then the things I was able to show myself that I thought I couldn't do in the past, that I needed a partner, that I needed something, uh, and I mean, that's not for everyone. It's, but that was the only way that I could feel into how am I really going to make these shifts so that I know what's mine. I know what's not mine. It was a long journey for me to return to the body because I don't even like being in a body now in the space where I'm in now. It's a struggle for me to connect into the body on a daily basis. If I miss a day, I know it. I'm a maniac in the cosmos. So, uh, yeah, I think that it's, I think where I can see it becoming problematic is when there's a lot of excitement around the spirituality aspect of it and all these really neat different places that we can travel to in the spiritual realms. And when we take on the role of a teacher too soon, because we're so inspired to want to illuminate a beautiful path, we run the risk of putting our path onto someone else rather than holding space for them to excavate their path forward. That to me is the evolved teacher is the, the really embodied journey guide is one that truly is a space holder where they're just allowing the energetics to really come through for their client or for the person they're guiding a journey for, uh, that we are teaching the client that that's the point to become self-referencing. You know, I've, I've stepped into a space where a lot of even the spiritual language I found to be a bit problematic, whether it's love and light, whether it's 
there's no destination. That one to me, I was able to reframe because I do have destinations along my healing journey. If I'm journeying with the intention to become neutral to a trigger so that I'm no longer activated by that experience, when I meet that moment in time, that is a destination that I've met and I'm going to take some time to celebrate that. I think when we can convince ourselves that we're always going to be on this journey, that there's no end point, we miss out on celebrating the wins that do activate along the way. Right. Which is why we're here. Why we're doing the healing, right? It's just to like feel better, to embody that. Um, And so we need to remember to take the time to, to do that. Like, right, like to experience the fruits of our labor and not fall into the trap that healing has to be 24-7 all the time. It, it might be. And we can, I think, take that perspective of embodiment, you know, just like with our values that we're like embodying them most of the time. Um, but we fall off or sometimes we're just not on that spectrum of like, it wasn't really about that. You know, and so same thing with healing. And when we look at like we're healing all the time, that implies this brokenness. And we're not broken, you know, we're we're human beings and we've had experiences and we've had trauma and we've had formative things and we reprogram and we recondition and learn and grow and all of that. But like we're not, we don't need to over-glorify the healing path and feel that we get like more points in the afterlife because you know, we were devoted to our healing. We can be devoted and then of service of other ways. I love what you said about um, the, the dangers of self-assigning the teacher role too soon. I think that can be very reckless and dangerous. I think we see a lot of that. Um, and that, that puts, that's a nice way of like saying some of the concerns that I've had with some of the self-help industry, um, particularly if said teachers are not also in tandem students and have their own their own guideposts and their own mentors and whatever that is, you know, to help kind of support their path. Um, and that point about self-referencing is really important, you know, that the best teachers and mentors will kind of guide back to self. And yes, we, we do sometimes need to get, like we said at the beginning of the call, like we have to get out of our own heads at times to kind of like checks and balance, you know, to provide checks and balances with the world. And know when to do that, when to be in community and when to reach out and when to have partnership. And like, that's part of our path is like learning in relationship, just like part of our path is, you know, the learning and healing that happens in solitude. Um, But the teachers that, uh, you know, that can kind of take on some of that like golden shadow or self-assign a golden shadow, that's risky. And to like come back to self to be able to say, you know, what what is our internal guidance system saying? And how are we integrating that knowledge and practicing discernment? Does that fit? Does that feel right? And like you said a few moments ago about even like divination tools, like the tarot spreads or the pendulums or a, a reading or astrology. Um, really all of that, I think most of all is, you know, in terms of unity consciousness, if we are all expressions of the divine or however we conceptualize that. So am I, so are you. It's like, you know, a candle flame coming from the same candle, right? It's like fire is fire is fire is fire. The divine is the divine is the divine is the divine. And these tools just help us tap back into ourselves and reflect it back to us as opposed to it being this like mystic answer that we otherwise don't have access to. 
Yeah, I had a client reach out today and she asked if she could bring crystals to the journey. And I said, absolutely, yes. Like anything that speaks to you, bring it with you. And my point with that is, and it, that's how, it's those little tiny subtle moments that we are learning to listen to our intuitive ping that yes. comes through. Like she had a ping to bring crystals to our, our time of connection. And she thought to reach out to see if that was okay. And the invitation becomes like, does it feel okay for you to bring them? Bring right. them. Just trust yourself. To, because the more that we can say like, oh, that was my intuition that said to bring this crystals, I'm going to, in that moment, choose to say yes or no to my intuition. And then there's a whole, you know, there's two paths that come from that. And so it is like at the very beginning of these journeys, it really is that practice of being that constant mirror back of why are you asking me? Yeah. Why are you asking me? And not from a condescending or any, but to, to say, what is it? What's the story you're telling yourself right now that needs to seek my approval or permission for you right. to act in a way that feels like it's in alignment to you? Why are you asking my permission? Yeah, I, I agree with that. Like, why are you asking my permission? And is that permission? You know, that she wants she wants permission to get that nod. Is it out of reverence for your space and wanting to say like, you know, this is your space that I'm coming into for your medicine out of respect for your process. May I bring my medicine? You know, and like, yes, of course, like you said, but there is a lot of that, like, I think, again, seeking external validation in which we do and we need, but not all the time. So is that a time, you know, that otherwise is just like, hey, that feels best to me to have this with, for whatever reason that spoke to her, then like, yes, then, then we take the initiative and say, 100%, bring him. Yeah, because then the beautiful thing about honoring our intuition and our inner compass on a, a potential next step is if I'm in a space of presence where it feels like it's a very authentic yes to do this particular thing and I honor that yes and I take that step, that then, so for this example with the crystals, if this client was to come into session and I had a boundary in place around bringing external charged stones into a sacred space environment, that would be an opportunity for me to really allow that boundary to be in place, to check my own comfort with honoring my own boundary. Yeah. But if she ignores her intuition, doesn't bring the crystals, then I lose out on an opportunity to honor my boundary. So it's, it's all of those things. So the yeah. journey really does become, can I honor my intuitive full body? Yes. To take action in a certain way, knowing that whomever I engage with, it's because I said that intuitive yes type of a vibe. Like it, it's how we... It's, I don't know, it's how we shift and engage and we're not responsible for cleaning up anyone else's karmic journey or we're not responsible for anyone else's healing. And so if I can honor my yes, and that puts me in a space where that's going to also then ask someone else to honor their yes or honor their boundary, that's, that's the point. Right. That's the point. That's the point. I don't know, I love it all. 
(laughs) (laughs) Yes, that is the point. And that is, um, that is part of that liberation, you know, of, of that, like, you know, walking alongside and that it doesn't have to be, you know, one size fits all or at the cost of another. Um, and that, that can be a tricky balance, you know, and bringing that back to like what you were saying about, you know, being in isolation and then having partnership and where we like project and we, you know, like how that opens things up again too, that it's just such a, it's there, it, it can be so complex and yet so human and simple and, you know? Yeah. And I think the best thing that can happen <laughs> to us on a healing journey is the amount of humility we encounter while we're healing. Because I can feel into the energetics when I meet someone and know pretty, pretty quickly how deeply embodied they are in their healing journey or their spiritual journey. Because it's, there's just this openness and this comfort of being able to be fully expressed without the narrative of like old story of, is this going to offend someone or hurt someone or anything like that? Because we're so self-aware that we're reading the energetics of the room and not in a way that we're manipulating the energetics, but we're just, we know ourselves well enough to know I would respond to this in this moment, or I can respond to it in this way. And what's going to be this, the safest, most, most loving choice for this room. So we're showing up in a way that's a full expression but honoring the energetics of the space and what it can hold. Because not everyone can hold space for everything, right? There are situations where I'm like, you know what? That's a bit out of my, my medicine bag when it comes to the journey work that I can guide. I know someone else who does that so beautifully and it's definitely a part of their medicine. It doesn't make me less of a, of a journey guide. It's just, we're given the medicine that we're given to activate. And so, yeah, that took a really interesting turn. How did we get to that part? (laughs) Well, I think that, um, you know, like you said, when the embodiment of um, one's path and where we can sometimes observe and gauge, you know, where they're at and what comes to mind for me with that is... um, when I was in my yoga teacher training years ago, um, my guru, her name was Mary Beth. And I remember observing her a lot. And, and she, she had a wonderful personality, very magnetic, very light. But there were times that like her serenity was like palpable almost. And it was just like, you know, she, she could just observe and she could hold space and she could um, not say anything and and still say so much um, or just allow the working out of like whatever was happening in the room. Um, and then there are times that she would speak and it would be very profound. And um, I, I remember like watching that and admiring, you know, there is just like so often such an absence of ego and that is so serene to witness. And I think that is part of like, to me, how I conceptualize that, I think from you know, that example of like what you're kind of trying to say in term, and, and then like you said that um, everybody with, you know, is a carrier of their own medicine, whatever that is. So different tour guides, so to speak, um, for different legs of the journey because of our 
scope of practice or our medicine or our, you know, whatever that might, whatever that ends up being. Yeah. And then really being able to, man, I'll tell you what, what really changed the whole game for me was when I, I really allowed myself to drop into the study and practice of subconscious reprogramming mm. and how so much, if not everything, that my life is a reflection of a deeply rooted subconscious makes that subconscious belief true. And so when I can look at my external landscape and say X, Y, or Z feels off, where within my wounding story do I have an affinity for this moment in time? And that's the place to go back and really investigate and really work to heal. Because I can say from this conscious state of conversation, let's say I, am, I, I have worthiness. My worthiness is spot on. But if there's a subconscious belief that I'm only worthy if I'm presenting a certain offering, then I'm going to continue to be met with evidence that I'm only worthy and received when I'm doing that one thing. And that's, that's the dangerous game of responding to our environment versus being an active participant in the medicine of it all. And where we can get lost in the divination of it all, especially with something like astrology, whereas you know, given our current times, we're, we're about to approach the exact day of our Pluto return as a nation. That's some brutal shit. I mean, that's some brutal, that's a brutal <laughs> transit. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's been 225 years since Pluto's been at that spot. So there's a lot coming up for the collective. But if I make the assumption that because we're in a Pluto return and it's about to be exact, that the world's going to fall apart, I'm creating the... I'm creating the space for that evidence to be proven true. And that's where we can really craft a whole new experience based off of our true conscious, deeply rooted belief systems is yes, this is going to be an intense time, but it's an intense time of change. And if that looks challenging to start with, that's fine. But what we are changing is the foundation of how we coexist with our global community. And that's no small, no small shift. And we're seeing a lot of blame when really we need it to all come up. We need it to all come up so that we can, I mean, look at the individual healing journey. I didn't know some of the wounds I had until they came up. So like my, you know, I had a a gnarly couple of years of like, how am I such a monster? I really Mm -hmm. didn't realize, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, but it has to come up to be healed. And yeah. what we're dealing with as a collective has to come up so that we can heal it. And so for me, even like astrology, is like the bumpers on the bowling alley. Sure, yeah. Mercury's about to go retrograde, but that doesn't mean shit's going to fall apart. It means it may present in this way. And because I'm aware of that knowledge, if that is to happen, I can choose how I'm going to show up to that moment and greet it. Am I going to let myself get frustrated if my computer is on the frizz and all my documents go away. No, I, I know that it's a possibility. I can just do the work ahead of time to do a backup before I hit, you know, it, it's just all the things. But if we get lost in the dance of it all, then we're not embodying the medicine and we're just as untethered as we were in the very beginning of our healing journey. Right. We're just as easily influenced. Right. And I think that that can be 
I'm thinking of that as well, even from like a more clinical standpoint of the, um, the you know, the objective versus the subjective, like truth of certain situations that, you know, when we're, you know, our mind is programmed to see the world in certain ways and to make sense of the world in certain ways, we're meaning making machines. And so we make meaning based off of like our current or our past experiences and knowledge, because that's just how our brain works. Um, so if we see something happening from a subjective standpoint, we'll like make sense of that in a certain way and sometimes look for it, you know, and like kind of create like a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy or, you know, see something and decontextualize other knowledge and say, you know, like if your computer's on the fritz, like it's because it's mercury retrograde, like, or maybe you didn't update your antivirus software and like, it's actually not, you know, like, <laughs> right. And so we, we kind of have to be careful of that, you know, I mean, I think we, and that's part of like where spirituality can be so enriching is it provides meaning and it provides substance to certain things and it makes sense of it in a way that otherwise we might've struggled to make sense. So it helps us reframe or, you know, all these wonderful things, but yet we have to, again, like yet practice discernment and stay within context a little bit and be aware of our subjective thoughts and our projections and, you know, like that, that can be so, um, so tricky. And yet, like, that's a big part of the path. Yeah, especially with a lot of, you know, a lot of dialogue out in the collective right now around, let's just say it's manifestation. And how a lot, a lot of that journeying is into the dream state, into the vision quest, into the fantasy of it all, to really take some time to craft what would the most vibrant earth experience look and feel like for me as Blair in this lifetime. And I can spend the time doing the dreaming and the vision quest. I can do all of that. But if I don't embody an action, then my dreams will always be dreams. If I don't take one step of inspired action towards anchoring that into this earth experience, then I'm always going to be playing in the cosmos. But the point right. is to, to explore that through a body. We are the thing that lets consciousness experience itself in this dimension. Right. That's power. And that, it is 100%. And that, that action is what brings things manifest. And that's where we have to like, you know, get to work boots on the ground of that. Like if we're working on, let's say manifesting like, Hey, we can, you know, do all of the vision boarding, which I mean, I guess is some action, you know, I, I mean, we could create that argument, but there's also that like, we have to participate. We have to be in co-creation or we're not going to manifest shit. So there's that like checkpoint, I guess, of like, where's the action and what actions are we taking? And with that, I think, um, yeah, I think that there's, um, manifesting can get really um let's see out of focus at times you know where we're focusing on the the thing outside of us the the external state or the external thing that we want to bring to us and it can be somewhat self-centered and that's fine, you know, to a certain degree that we, you know, we want to be fulfilled and we want our needs met. We want to have like an effervescent life and that's good. We deserve that. And I think manifesting can be 
incomplete and that it's a lot about like, what am I bringing into me and forgetting like, what am I giving to life and what, where am I of service? And that when that, that system is kind of complete on both ends, we are fulfilled and we are giving from the overflow. And that is really important part of being of service is like, what are we giving? What are we imparting? Not just what do I get out of this? Absolutely. Absolutely. And what are the, the, if I'm manifesting a certain thing, why? What is this thing, experience, whatever the manifestation is, is it speaking to a core value of mine? So am I creating this thing because ultimately I want to feel more comfort or more security or like how then can I already be in a state of comfort and security so that I even know what it feels like energetically to begin co-creating that manifestation. If I'm, if I'm journeying towards manifesting a new offering, why? Is it because I'm feeling called to hold space differently for travelers? Is it because I'm feeling like I'm evolving as a journey? Like, what is it? And is it actually feeding the highest and best of the collective and myself? Or is it feeding shadow? Is it feeding something that's coming from lack? And if it's coming from lack, that's that deeper subconscious work that we have to do. Right. So it's it's a constant influx. And something can take me into lack pretty quickly where something else can soar me really quickly into worthiness or deservingness. So it's just a constant, I guess it really is like a constant beginner's mind to just start each day is like, okay, I don't know anything. And let me show up in a state of curiosity because what applied yesterday may not apply today. Right. Right. And that, you know, when we're, when we're doing, let's say manifesting work or co-creation work of like the, what's the come from, and that can be really elusive at times. You know, I think, I think that the more practiced we are on the path, like the ego can be so blaring at times and there's times like it's so sneaky. And like, so that's part of that, like continuous commitment to the work is like knowing that like it might be really sneaky or maybe to us and everybody else can see it and that's you know and that can be part of the come from if it's like let's say i'm you know manifesting further financial security and and part of why is like for security like that's a human need that's pretty legit but then also when i'm secure i'm more creative and i'm in more of service and i'm able to expand and i want to say yes to life and i want to meet my children's needs and some of these other things that just like you know they resonate and if i'm also coming from like a past history of like financial hardship okay so that'll be relevant but am i in compensation am i trying to prove worth is that a status symbol is there a false codependent belief system that if then so that's where we also have to be on the lookout i guess of for how those things can be interwoven and how very we we're just talking about this before the call how very like seemingly good things can be coming from a pretty shadowy place and that's that's tricky to know how do we um, impact, you know, the impact and the intention of certain things. Yeah. It, I mean, it's not lost on me, the synchronicity that is a Pluto return 
for a nation, right? Like I'm not going to live 225 years, so I'll never have a Pluto return for my own natal chart. But when we allow the cosmic signature to be a guide on a journey and we, when we're in alignment with allowing those energetics to be a teacher, I can say, okay, there's a real shadowy time in the collective. I'm going to let that be my invitation to ensure that I'm continuing to do my shadow work every day, every day, because it's the eternal present moment. So it's all of myself showing up in this moment to experience life. And if that's a no, who and what part of myself can I welcome back so that that lost fragmented soul self isn't in the background inflicting pain because it's trying to get my attention. So it's going to act out in a way that does if I'm not present and aware to say, oh man, it's been a while since I hung out with you. Come here, self. I love you so much. It's a constant journey. And if we think we're evolved past that place of doing shadow work, then that's the reminder to do the shadow yeah, work. Shadow work to do, right, yes. Because that part to me is never done. Yes. And I don't think it ever really is for certain people, you know, or for, not for certain people, for all things. But I was going to say certain, I think certain aspects of self with shadow work. And just even for the audience that might not be familiar with that terminology, you know, shadow work is just, I mean, the, the metaphor of like whatever it is in the shadows. So not like it's dark and bad, but like those unseen parts of ourselves that we don't always turn an eye to and how that can be the wind in our sails. And so doing shadow work is key. And even more key is the shadow integration. And that's, you know, where our, our self can be so fractionated because of life experiences beginning, I don't know, however many generations ago, when we look at like genetics and epigenetics and generational trauma and all those things, you know, it's like bringing that stuff out into the light and understanding it and then integrating. And that's when we are more, um, there's, there's more evolutionary wholeness that we get to embody. Um, and yet that like that fractionating and that shadow work um, it is continuous in certain ways, in some ways more than others. And to your point about, you know, the collective and our Pluto's return, of course, that's mirroring, you know, the as above, so below and as within, so without. So even on the macro and the micro, that the macro is experiencing like, man, such a shit show. And, and yet, like, personally speaking as well, I think like so many of us are going through our own dark nights of the soul here and there. And then there's also that like pendulum swing of like, I guess the light, you know, of like equal intensity in opposite direction. Like if I were to look at, you know, our iconic year of 2020, that there is so, there's such heartbreak going on for me at that time. And some of the lightest I've ever felt simultaneously. And we need to allow for the and that we can have the shadow integration and we can have the wounding and we can have the heartbreak and like acknowledge our growth or have a good day or see like the the both and like polarity and seemingly like incongruent parts of ourselves that can exist simultaneously because we're that, we're that, multifaceted, multidimensional beings. Which is why I found um, some harmful aspects of like the love and light movement. Yes. To be really, really harmful in that space of, again, 
feeling into it and, and feeling that the intention behind that is a beautiful intention. But what we saw happen was that we were putting more of our rejected aspects of self into shadow because we were trying to love and light it away. And when we think about even, even the, the story about the two wolves and which one are you going to feed? Well, if we're not, if we're not engaging with our shadow wolf, the wolf is still getting hungry and it will find a way to eat so it doesn't starve. So if I'm only focused on my light wolf, my shadow wolf is getting really frustrated and is going to start acting out. And so how do I spend time with the things I have in shadow so that I can witness myself as a whole ass person? A whole person. Because I have shadow, I have light. Because I have light, I have shadow. Neither of them are better or worse. They are what creates the whole experience. And when both are functioning in a space of harmony, then I feel as though that's what alignment is and that's what inner balance is and that's what awareness and that's what presence with self is. Mm -hmm. And honesty and accountability and 100%, 100%. And that, that like, right. So the shadow wolf, you know, that that still, it still exists. And so what are we going to do with it? You know, and you're right. If we ignore it, if we reject it, if we banish it, it, it will act out. It will, it doesn't just wither away, you know? And so how are we going to love that too? How are we going to acknowledge our wholeness and worthiness and just inherent worthiness as a person and know that like it's that is part of our worthiness and how do I love that you know it's like inner child work for example that like the wounded inner child and the the quote-unquote bad child that acts out in whatever way that one needs love maybe even a little bit more than the one than the golden child you know of the one that like doesn't really cause any problems is that like and that's reparenting essentially is you know bringing that one out into the light and exploring it and understanding its needs and then seeing how might that part actually show up differently and how might that part actually feed a part of our unique expression as a human being so if it's you know to continue with that metaphor, like wounded child that acts out and is like defiant and oppositional when wounded, like, could that also be part of like our rebel archetype, you know, the sacred rebel that is here to like shake shit up and cause revolutions, you know, and like, right. And so I think we have to look at that too, just like our, our being, you know, every part of ourselves, no matter how we conceptualize it and what languages are used, every aspect of ourself has a light and shadow part to it. You know, even every single personality trait, every expression of self will have some dimension to it. And when we spend time with that, without shame and self-judgment, or even with some shame and self-judgment and say, hey, shame, you're showing up when we hang out. Like, what's that about? And how do we, you know, like not have shame about our shame? Well, yeah, especially with shame, right? Because guilt will say that I did something wrong and I feel guilty. Whereas shame says that I'm the thing that's wrong. Yes. Shame is a dangerous one, which is why I find that healing and community is so powerful because we're able, when we're in a shame story and we're able to be witnessed and loved, 
when we're sharing that, it really softens the entry into deeper healing around that shame story because we're like, oh, I just said this thing out loud and I'm still receiving loving energy from those that have witnessed this moment in time. I think I can do this thing. I can do this. I can talk about this. I can, I can do this. It, it just starts to shift the whole, and we're seeing what happens when we continue to not talk about the things that cause the most discomfort and pain. Because those things have a way of making it to the surface. And that's what we're seeing as a collective over the last couple of years is everything we didn't want people to know about us personally and as a nation is on the table. And it ain't cute. It's not cute. But we're able to actually do the healing work now. We can do the deeper work now. Right. It's necessary. It's necessary to take a look at that, whether that's on our own. It's necessary to, you know, do that in community, um, however that is. And I, and I love the example of like the shame and the guilt. And I would add to that remorse and regret and how when we're experiencing that, you know, like, like you said, shame says I am bad. Guilt says I did something bad. And we all know that guilt can be kind of a like toxic, made up, manipulative emotion um, that is often like instilled in us from some outside source. Whereas remorse, I think, comes from within and it's a sign of our conscience and it's a sign of our integrity and it's a sign of our values that remorse comes up when we know we miss the mark. And regret too, I think that there can be some very healthy regret of saying, and not, and I don't mean like beat ourselves up and go into self-loathing, which then turns into shame, but like, do I have regrets? Oh, fuck yeah. And I like, I'm okay admitting that and not saying no regrets because I do have regrets. I could have done better. I wish I would have done better in situations. And that's a symbol of my learning. Because if I know that like, I can look back on that and say, I wish I'd handled that better. They deserve an apology, you know, or the the atonement that happens within of saying I was wrong. And then the amend making that says to that person, I was wrong. And acknowledging that experience, like embedded in that whole process is going to be at, at the very least some remorse and some you know, some apology and empathy and compassion for the other person that I had an impact on. And that's healthy. That's relationship building. That's, that's repair building. Right. But when we ascribe to like no regrets, that's, that's pretty dismissive and it's okay to have regrets. A hundred percent. And I think that because of the regrets, we're able to use that as a gauge of our healing. Because when I make a choice from love in that same scenario, the next time around, it's because not only have I done the healing work to show up differently to that moment, I'm also closing out a karmic cycle that shows I've done the healing around this because this karmic event where I hold regret for my actions, choice, behaviors, what it may be, ignited a deeper portal of healing, doing that deep work Sometime later, I found myself in a very similar energetic exchange, but I'm choosing a loving path through that engagement. That is showing me a lot of evidence that not only the work works when we do it with intention, 
and devotion to the process, but it also shows us that the, the healing has been integrated and the karma of that m- original moment is cleared because I've been able to choose a higher vibrational response to what once would have taken me into the plummets of my wounding. Right. And the guidepost, right. And the guidepost was that less desirable state of feeling, right? So like whether that's the regret of like, I responded in this vibration that wasn't in full alignment with myself and that I felt, X, you know, whatever, I felt this kind of way, these kind of things happen, fast forward, something else happens. And I remember how that felt and that I don't want to feel that way again, or I don't want to have that impact. And so I have integrated that learning and I've done differently, or now I will do differently. And I think you're right. And I think that that's where, you know, our shadow integration, that's a perfect example of shadow integration where in our like pseudo spiritual community, where there's a lot of that, like only light side that we're missing a lot of really important depth and learning, not just only in the human experience, but like, where that's where a lot of the depths is. That's where a lot of character is forged. Oh yeah. I can think back to the times where life felt really super in alignment, a lot of bliss state, a lot of happiness, a lot of joy. Wasn't learning a ton though. Like it felt great. And I love those moments in my journey. I'm also a student of life and I love the learning that comes with raw, exposed, open living of, okay, I'm ready for anything and everything. Uh, what, what am I here to learn today? Type of a vibe. What am I going to learn today? Because yeah, I mean, it's, that's, there's just not a whole lot of learning in my own personal experience that takes place from the bliss. And I, which also I have to keep a lot of awareness around because I can, and I can fall in love with the healing journey. I can fall in love with the shadow work of it all. And like that life becomes constantly engaging with grief and suffering and pain yeah. because I love how rich those experiences are. My dog's a little crazy. No, that's okay. Yeah. It matters. It's my dog. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. And you know, with that too, um, yeah. Can, can we learn in a state of bliss? Of course. Can we, you know, and, and the lessons will be different. They'll feel different. We maybe have to be on the lookout for them a little bit differently, or it's, you know, different experiential learning. And then with the shadow work too, that's where we build. There, there's a lot of character that's built in, in the shadow work or the shadow lessons or the harder parts of life. That's where we also build, um, strength. That's where we build resilience. That's where we build, trust in ourself, confidence, self-efficacy, you know, all of these things that like they're forged during those harder times where the, the easier times, yes, those can be components, but I, I, I hear what you're saying that I think it, it's a different type of teacher and we need both to learn different types of lessons to really drop them in because I'm like you and that my, my learning, you know, I'm a student of life as well. And my learning used to be especially when I was younger, a lot of like hard lessons, you know, of like where I ignored my intuition and then I'd get the ejection seat or I would like, you know, whatever it was that that's how I learned was like a lot of kicks in the pants by the universe. And I remember thinking like, especially after I got sober, like no more hard lessons. 
And that I've certainly had hard lessons since then, but I think I was able to embrace not blowing my life up in order to have those lessons. Um, but yet, like, I don't think we can ever fully escape hardship. And I think that that's how we engage with hardship is changed by our work too, of feeling like confident within that or having, you know, a more like ascended bird's eye view perspective of what's happening that we don't get lost in the trees so much and we can see it. And sometimes we know like the universe is serving me this lesson right now and I'm in it. And it's that very, um, oh, I don't even have a word for it, but just that like almost intangible feeling of when we're very aware of our human experience and spiritual experience at the very same time of that, like, okay, I'm, I'm observing what's happening to me as it's happening. And this is what I'm here to learn. So let's get to yeah, work. And it may be painful, but I've evolved in my healing experiences to know that I could, I, I, it's not suffering. I think the suffering, when we really dive into healing work, the suffering is the thing that becomes optional. The pain of life serves a purpose, a beautiful purpose. It allows us to feel love, right? Like it's just like the, it's, it's, so it's beautiful in how we learn to greet the painful moments through what you just described as being able to step in observer and say, okay, I'm, there's rich wisdom that's going to be coming through from this moment in time. I'm going to allow myself to hold space to feel into all of this, knowing that it is not permanent. The, the pain also dissolves, but the suffering, if we don't work to unbind ourselves from the shackles of our suffering, it will be our default and it will be the thing that sets the tone for the rest of our days. And that is not enjoyable. We are, our, is our divine right to release our suffering. As human beings, as souls having a human experience, we deserve to be free of suffering. And we can, we, that is 100% within our power. Pain, inevitable. We are coexisting in a world where free will is the right of every being. There are circumstances outside of our control. Surrender, acceptance, greet the pain and journey through it. It all feels so conceptually manageable. The, the work of healing doesn't seem to be too complex, but the act of healing is quite complex. The doing the fucking work day in and day out is what allows us to heal because it's such a complex journey. We have to do it in a way that's consistent for us. That may not be daily but in a way that's consistent for us. Right. And the, and the consistency is key. And that is, and there's, there's such a paradox there when I sit with that of like, you know, that, that it's consistent and it's day in and it's day out. Cause to, to a degree it is. And yet I can also like argue the same side of the argument of like, but do, do we have to? And like, not necessarily, you know, like, do I, do I feel like in my daily life right now, Am I committed to my path? 100%. Do I falter from it? Also 100%. Do I feel like I can look at certain things that are an act of healing? And most of the time right now, it's in either like the daily practices or as they present themselves. Yes. And 
But do I feel like I'm in this laborious, like doing the work and romancing the struggle and all that? No. And that, I think that's part of the key, you know, like phase of life might determine how the work looks. Um, and maybe there's, maybe that's just part of like the commitment to the path, you know? Yeah. I think the level of embodiment, yes. right? Like the more we truly do hit those really crucial moments of embodying the medicine or embodying a spiritual practice, it becomes less of the doing and it's just a part of our how we're showing up to the world. Like it's just, a, it's another moment of integration that just sticks differently. And so I, can, I don't have to spend the conscious bandwidth on that thing because it's now been written in my subconscious as a new default program. So now I can continue to build on that embodiment and then, okay, now it's on to the next one. Now it's there's on mastery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's mastery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. So I'm just kind of glancing at the time and, you know, just as we're kind of wrapping up, where, where do we find you these days? I know you have oh. a lot going on and that was one thing that I wanted to check in about. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's been a trip of the last couple of years. Uh, I took an entire year. I deleted all my social media accounts. So I'm in the building stage of that. And it's been such a beautiful way to like re-engage with the community. So you can, Find me on Instagram. I have to look up my name. I'm so (laughs) I have a couple of them. I have a Instagram account for just like my personal journey, um, which also includes a little bit of my shamanic lineage and influence there with the healing work. And that one is underscore Blair underscore Elizabeth. And then my other one on Instagram is so much fun. And it's my hand poke tattoo page. Yes. 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 And that has been so amazing. Uh, you've had an experience with a hand poke and it, there's just a different activation that comes through with it. And it feels connected to an ancient form of marking the vessel. I mean, when something becomes an important enough, and I'm a fan of, folks like going out and having a party. I turn 18. I'm going to go get a little heart on my booty. Like, do you, uh, but the spiritual experience that can come through with sacred tattooing is saying this symbol mark moment in time means so much that I'm going to mark my temple with this thing. That's what I offer with hand poke journeying. And that feels very much in alignment with the shamanic work that I do as well. And Uh, That one's called True Nature Hand Poke. So, yeah. I echo that, you know, of being, having received from you that like the leading up to the experience, you know, as soon as like the medicine starts working essentially is, you know, when you receive the downloads of like, you know, kind of create the vision, however, whatever your process is, you know, the vision of like, and then transferring that onto the body is like anchoring in is what it feels like, you know, like, like, anchoring it into the grid of like this vessel, my body. And it's just, it feels like a walking prayer. Um, and then even like, even the experience of getting the tattoo, not just like the, the work, the, you know, the, the finished product, but the experience was really profound. And of course, you know, you and I just spending that time together as we do and like going wherever we go in conversation, but even it was so gentle and it was so, 
it was it just felt very gentle. And I think sometimes tattooing, and I have them, you know, from guns too, but they can they can feel harsh. Um, so it was a completely different, like, like it was a light activation, which was really powerful. So I yeah. love those reflections. Yes. 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 Oh. You have found, you've definitely found a part of your calling, I think with that. And I'm, I'm excited to see how that is interwoven with the shamanic work and travels and mountain medicine. And just to see how you braid all of that together is like, I'm excited to witness that. Oh, sister. Thank yes. you so much. Yes. Thank you we'll, so much. Yes. We'll put all of that in the show notes. Is there anything else, just as we have a few final moments that you would like to share or ask or impart upon our listeners? I mean, the, so much of this can feel overwhelming. So much of life can feel so overwhelming. And the thing that has really allowed me to soften more into life and experiencing it fully is anchoring into the eternal present, like anchoring into right now. All of life is happening in this moment. It's when it's actually taking place. And as much of our energy as we can bring into that here and now makes all the difference. I think that we're harming ourselves to think that we shouldn't have some energies in the past and some energies in the future. Like we're, we're evolutionary beings. We need to know where we've been and where we're going in a sense, but the most that we can harness to take inspired action now is a game changer. And so whatever that looks like, however anyone wants to craft that experience for themselves just try it out. Just give it a shot. Bring as much of yourself into right now and just journey forward from that space. It does have a peaceful, there's a peaceful undertone to existing in that way, I have found. And that, that <laughs> present moment is such an elusive thing of that I find that we're either like grasping for, you know, in form of like peak experience or resisting it's, you know, suffering or whatever it is. And so like that straddling of the past and present um, or the past and um, future is like what pulls us out of the present. And then paradoxically, that's how we're then present, you know? So it's the, it's the practice of like, you know, focusing back, back to the present, back to the breath, back to the body, back to the moment, back to what's happening. I mean, it's the most intimate journey we will ever take the journey of self and understanding myself so intimately that has been such a vibrant experience and I'm hungry to know more of who I am. Yeah. It's so, yeah, just, ah, we could, I mean, I have to stop talking because I do feel <laughs> we could do this all day. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Oh, well, thank you for joining us, Blair. We will have you again and we can do it again and again. You're such a light in my life and such a sister. Mm, I, I appreciate you. you. I love you too. I'm really, really, really excited for all that you're doing. And I thank think you. that um, it's a beautiful time to be putting out this expression of yourself to the collective. Um and I just have such a, a loving feeling about how it's going to be received and how it's going to translate. So like 
deepest bow because it's a, it's a, a beautiful step. Thank you.